Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. It's a bit of a... Freaky Friday situation happening here. I'm usually introducing Andrew, and this morning he's introducing me. A swappy Sunday, maybe, not a freaky Friday. Um, Mercy, I was with you. I didn't realize it was only two weeks left, less than two weeks left before Christmas Day. Uh, There's so much on the calendar at this point that I can only handle looking at one week at a time. So even though I have the whole month up on the fridge, I'm just focused on the week ahead of me. What am I going to get through this week before I can move on to even thinking about the next? So Christmas is on the calendar, but it's not on the week I'm looking at yet. So I didn't really realize that it was so very soon. Well, I love Christmas, and Christmas has been probably quite a different experience for me in my life, and especially my childhood, than for you, because, as Pastor Andrew said, I grew up in Canada. So my Christmases were full of snow and Christmas caroling out to our neighbors' houses and going to church. My dad's a pastor as well, so we spent a lot of time at church over the holidays having all these extra services, and um, there was snow, and also there was a lot of snow. Uh, As I mentioned, in Canada, we have a lot of snow. (laughs) And I think snow is very pretty. I love looking at it outside, sitting next to a warm fire or a beautifully lit up tree. Uh, But I've got to say, Australian Christmas has really grown on me (laughs) because I love being warm. So I have a lot of really fond memories, even though the snow. I have a lot of really fond memories of Christmas growing up, but I have one particular memory of Christmas that really stands out to me amongst the others, and it's not such a happy, joyful memory of Christmas. I think I was probably in about seventh, no, eighth or ninth grade at the time, and Uh, We go to church on Christmas Day as a family, and then we'd come home, and in the afternoon, we would do all of our gifts. And we open them one at a time, so you get to see what everyone else has been given. I know some people just dive in and tear everything open. That's not how we got it done at our place. So we had unwrapped all of our gifts, and we each had our pile of gifts next to us. And I remember looking at my pile of gifts and looking at my brother's piles of gifts and feeling really gypped. I felt like they had made out so much better that Christmas than I had, that they got nicer stuff, they got more expensive stuff, and it seemed like they even got more stuff than me. And I was really disappointed. 
And I just sat there having a quiet little pity party, looking around at all the beauty of Christmas around me, feeling sorry for myself. And then I got up and excused myself and I went to my bedroom and I lay down on my bed and I started crying. And at first I was crying because of the disappointment over my gifts. But that very quickly shifted to the disappointment with myself. I felt horrified that I was so ungrateful, that I had so much and I had been given all of these things by people who loved me and what I was left feeling was dissatisfaction and ungratefulness. I was, I was so ashamed of my own heart at that moment. <clears throat> So when I got asked to preach one of these Christmas messages, I was really looking forward to it because this Christmas series is about the idea, the idea we're trying to get across is that it's not just about preparing stuff for Christmas. It's about preparing our hearts to represent Jesus this Christmas. And that's what I recognized was missing for me. I had prepared my stuff. I had bought the gifts I needed to for other people. I'd done all of the things I needed to to get practical things organized for Christmas. But I hadn't addressed my own heart. And my own heart was far from ready for Christmas. And so I love that we're going to talk about getting our hearts ready for Christmas and what that looks like. This series is called The Christmas List, and it's not about a list of gifts to buy. It's not about a list of groceries to shop for or things to bake and cook to prepare your Christmas meal. Uh, it's a very different list. It's a list of things that the prophet Isaiah said about the coming Messiah. So he said these things, this prophecy about Jesus, about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. That's a pretty decent prophecy, I think. 700 years before the birth of Jesus. These are the things that he said about the coming Messiah. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this is Isaiah's list that he gives us. And last week, Pastor Andrew shared about Jesus being everlasting father. And today I'm going to talk about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. He also gave us quite a history lesson. I loved it. Um, and I'm going to recap some of the um, relevant details of that for this week's message. For those who were not here with us last week, and for those who need to hear things more than one time before it starts to sink in. I'm in that category, so don't feel bad if that's you. 
So the land that God had given to the people of Israel after he brought them up out of slavery in Egypt, we had on a map here. Um, but at the time when they came in and settled, this, were, this was not their borders, where we've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. They settled in their tribal allotments when they came into the land and lived that way for quite some time before they set a king over themselves and became a kingdom. And initially, they were one kingdom under one king. But by the time Isaiah spoke this message, they were two kingdoms because after Solomon, they were divided into a kingdom of Israel in the north with 10 tribes and kingdom of Judah in the south with two tribes. And the capital of Judah was Jerusalem where the temple was. So before they'd gone in and settled the land that they were living in at the time of Isaiah speaking, there were other people living in that land. It wasn't an empty land when they went in and settled there. There was a people group there called the Canaanites. And God clearly spoke to Israel that when they were going into the land to take it, they needed to clear out the former inhabitants of the land. This is because he was judging the wickedness of the Canaanites as he gave Israel the land. So the Canaanites worshipped many gods. They worshipped a lot of gods. And they worshipped in a different way than God wanted Israel to worship him. So you might not think it sounds too terrible that they could just come in alongside the Canaanites and let the Canaanites do their thing and do their own thing, worshipping God. But... Uh, that's not how it would work if they just moved in alongside the Canaanites, and God knew that. The Canaanites' concept of worship was very different than what God wanted for Israel. Among other things, the Canaanites practiced cult prostitution and child sacrifice in their worship rituals. So for the Israelites to take on the practices of the Canaanite people, this would have been a real problem. This would have turned the people of Israel into something that God didn't want for them. So he warns them that if they didn't get rid of these other people in the land, they would eventually end up marrying with these people and being led astray into worshiping the gods of these Canaanite people. And so Canaanite the Canaanite people could not be allowed to stay. Sadly, as they came in and settled the land, everything God predicted would happen if they didn't clear them out did happen. They intermarried with these people, and they began to worship the gods of the Canaanite people, and also to try to worship God in the same way that the Canaanites worshipped their God. But God wanted them to worship him alone. The way that God taught them that they should worship was a way of worshiping him that would bring them to a place of being at peace with God. He desired for them to walk in obedience to him 
and to reflect him in the way that they lived so that he could bless them and so that they would be a witness to the nations around them of the goodness of their God. As they lived as examples of who God was, it would tell those around them how good and wonderful their God was. He would be able to bless them and be at peace with his people. But instead, in their choosing idolatry, they put themselves in a position of living in opposition with God instead of living at peace with God. They chose idolatry, and when the kingdom split into Israel, kingdom of Israel in the north, and the kingdom of Judah in the south, the king of the north didn't want the people going back to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple there. So he even established idols in the north and the south of the kingdom and told the people of the northern kingdom to worship in those places at those idols and really reinforced idol worship in the kingdom. And that reinforcing of idol worship obviously led them more into Canaanite practices and further and further away from a worship of God that would bring them peace with God. So their sinning against God affected the nation. The people were not at peace with God. And as a result, the nation itself was not at peace either. He couldn't pour out the kinds of blessings on them that he wanted to because they were not functioning as he had commanded them to function. Their sin put them in this state of conflict with God. And for generations, they suffered the consequences of the state that they were living in. They had bad leadership. They were Uh, at war with neighboring nations. They had famines uh, and so on. Their animals died, their crops failed. All sorts of things were the result of their disobedience to God, their choice to follow these idols instead of God. And so even right before this prophecy where Isaiah says, this is the Messiah who's going to come, he is the... um, I don't want to forget my list. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Before he prophesies this, he actually prophesies the coming invasion of the Assyrian Empire, which would basically wipe out the 10 northern tribes of Israel, only leaving the kingdom of Judah in the south, two tribes in the south. Now, Pastor Andrew described last week some of the brutality of the Assyrians in their warfare. Uh, They were both physically and psychologically uh, engaged in warfare, and they were a terrifying nation to come across. And Isaiah announced that this is who's coming for you, Israel. And it happened quite soon, I mean, quite soon in historic terms. So like within 15 years, I would say, of this prophecy of Isaiah. So you can imagine that for these people who Isaiah is speaking to, saying, this is the Savior that will come. He is all these things. That Prince of Peace was something that would have touched a very deep felt need for them because they didn't know peace. They weren't at peace with God, and they weren't at peace as a nation. 
And so to be promised peace was something that really would have resonated with the people that Isaiah was prophesying this to. And I think this is a felt need for us as well. Here in Australia, we're not living under the threat of war, but that's not to say that there aren't still a lot of people who don't know true peace, who, ha- who are not living, experiencing the peace that God has for them. The New Testament explains to us that Jesus wasn't just a peaceful person, but he was the restorer of peace with God. In Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is how Jesus brought God's peace to us, to all who have faith in him, was by shedding his blood for our sins on the cross so that the the sins have been paid for and we are no longer in conflict with God. We are at peace with God. I think that's such a beautiful thing. Usually we talk about that at Easter, not Christmas, but I think that it connects well with this prophecy in Isaiah, because Jesus didn't come just to be born. Jesus came with a mission in mind. Um, And so I shared this at Easter, that I, I have always had a hard time separating the message of Easter and the message of Christmas, because they are all Jesus. Jesus restored peace between mankind and God by giving up his life for the forgiveness of our sins. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we have full access to peace. Let's just take a deep breath and soak that truth in this morning. We have full access to the peace of God. We have full access to the peace of God. That's not to say we always walk in it, but we always have access to it. So we can always come back to that peace that is promised to us in God because of what Jesus has done. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What things rob you of peace in your daily life? And specifically, What things in this Christmas season are robbing you of peace? As much as Christmas time is a time of year that most of us look forward to, it's also a stressful time of year for a lot of people. Maybe you're dealing with a financial struggle. Maybe you are stressed because you know you can't afford to give your loved ones the gifts that you want to give them. Or you want to be able to give your children the same kinds of gifts their friends will be getting for a Christmas, but you can't afford to give them to them. 
Maybe you're extra stressed about finances because of the loss of a job. I know a lot of people, December 17th, they're facing that inability to uh, go certain places, losing their jobs because of um, new regulations that are coming in. That's a financial stress that uh, is even harder by the fact that it's a financially big season at Christmas. Maybe you're dealing with relational strain. Maybe you uh, have a relationship with one of your family members that's not going great, and you know that that's going to be challenged as you gather together as a family for Christmas, or you're not gathering together as a family for Christmas because of those relational difficulties. Maybe you have a family that has been um, broken by divorce and you are dealing with the strain of trying to cooperate with an ex-partner as the Christmas season approaches. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're embarrassed to tell people around you that you don't have anyone to spend the holidays with. My mom always found the last month before Christmas particularly stressful because she's very organized and would get everything sorted out early. (laughs) She was just such an amazing woman. Is. She's not a was. She is an amazing person. But when I was a kid, she would always get her Christmas shopping done so far in advance. She was really organized. My dad, on the other hand, is the king of last minute. And so come December, when my mom's all ready for Christmas, everything's wrapped, put away, and she's just focusing on baking at this point, my dad would go shopping for Christmas. And he would find all kinds of things that he wanted. So he would go out and he would buy a gift or two for other people and several things for himself. Usually, several things my mom had already purchased for him. So she would spend the last month before Christmas unwrapping all of my dad's presents, finding the receipts to return all of my dad's presents, and trying to come up with new things to give him for Christmas. I remember one year she just made a rule that he was not allowed to buy himself anything in the month before Christmas. If he wanted something, it had to wait until after Christmas so that she would not have to play this game again because it just got too frustrating for her. Anyone else have that in their families? (laughs) No? No no one wants to admit it. (laughs) Hit too close to the mark there. Now, I'm not trying to call my dad selfish. It might sound like that's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm just trying to point out that it's very easy for us to have our eyes on ourselves. When we're going out shopping for other people, it is very easy to think about all the things we're seeing that we ourselves want. Our own desires, our own problems, these are the things that are naturally to us as humans in the forefront of our mind. And this is the way that Israel had lived. We can see clearly from their example that pursuing their own desires did not bring them to a place of peace as a nation. 
And we, as we pursue our own desires, trying to get things for ourselves, only focusing on the things that are important to us, the, the situations that are right before us, this is not the way to live in peace ourselves either. Getting all the stuff doesn't bring peace. If we're going to represent Jesus this Christmas, we need to be prepared to put the needs of others before our own needs. Jesus performed the ultimate act of putting others' needs above his own to the point of giving up his own life for the needs of others. We had a need to have peace with God and we couldn't meet that need, but Jesus could. And so he gave his life to restore our peace with God. My husband really challenged me in this idea last year of taking my eyes off my own needs, off myself, and putting them on the needs of others. We were at Brookside Shopping Center getting him a haircut before Christmas. He really needed it. So Jonas, our son, he was, I guess, about two months old at the time, and so I had him in the pram. He was asleep. Matt had got his hair cut. And then when he went to pay, found out that the barber only took cash. They didn't take card. Yeah, Aldos, yes. We've all, we've all experienced this, have we? So Matt was going to do a quick dash to the ATM to get some cash out. And I didn't want them to think we were trying to skip out on paying for the haircut. So I just waited on the bench at the barber's with Jonas sleeping in the pram for Matt to go get some cash and come back. It's not a huge shopping center. It should not have taken very long. But as the time was ticking by, I was thinking, oh my gosh, did he get lost? And the barber made a bit of a joking comment about the same thing, and I had no idea what could have possibly been taking him this long. Was the ATM broken? He could have gone to every ATM in the shopping center in the time I sat there waiting. And he finally comes walking back over, and he's got an envelope in his hand. And I said, where? were you? Why did that take so long? And he says, oh, I stopped to talk to the person at that booth for the uh, Starlight Children's Foundation. And I was like, oh, Matt, you're just too nice to tell people that you don't have time and keep walking. I need to teach you how to blow people off. And <laughs> he said, no, I, I, I stopped on purpose. He says, I was walking through and I saw their poster with the picture of the kid with the nasal gastric tube in, and it reminded me of Jonas, and I got really emotional and had to stop and talk to them. Because Jonas, when he was a baby, in the first few months, we had some real difficulties with him. He was not feeding well. The doctors called it failure to thrive. So he wasn't feeding. And then because he wasn't eating, he didn't have any energy to eat. And so he just started losing more and more weight and had lost uh, an unsafe amount of weight. And we had to have him admitted to hospital to get a feeding tube put in so that he could be forced to put on some weight and get to a position where he was healthy enough for, healthy enough for us to go home. 
And so he saw this picture of the kid with the same feeding tube in on the poster, and it reminded him of the difficulties that we had gone through with our own son. And he started to cry and stopped to talk to the people because he thought, yeah, we can help out these people who are helping out sick kids um, because it's a children's foundation that does things for sick kids and their families who are in hospital. And so he signed us up to support the Starlight Children's Foundation. And he told me this and handed me the envelope. And my reaction was, of course, very gracious. Just kidding. (laughs) I was annoyed. I was like, how could you commit our money to something without talking to me about it? We're still pretty newly married. We haven't worked out all of the kinks in our financial management yet. We're working on it. Um, but I was irritated because we are, we are uh, full-time volunteers, so we're always operating on a pretty strict budget, and I just couldn't believe that he had um, gone and committed this money without talking to me about it first. And then I realized, if my biggest complaint about my husband is that he's too generous, it's probably me that has the problem, <laughs> and not Matt. See, Matt was ready to represent Jesus. Matt was ready to think about the needs of others above his own needs. People who would never know it was him, who would never thank him, he was prepared to give to them. Where my focus was on our needs, the things we needed to get for Christmas, the family members that we needed to buy gifts for, I was focused on what was right before me, and not focused on showing Jesus to the world around me. So this year, I'm on board from the start. And this year, we've learned a little something from last year, and we are talking together about where to be generous this Christmas. And I think it's really great that um, one of the things that we're doing as a church is also this rural compassion thing, that uh, we have opportunity as a church to give to those who need and won't be able to thank us, won't be able to recognize us for what we've given, but we can just be Jesus to them so that they can see Jesus bringing peace to their lives. I think that's a really beautiful thing. And so we've been talking together about how we're going to do this at Christmas. And I think it's a good thing for us as a church to consider together. How can we show the goodness of God to those around us by putting their needs above our own? Let's not just tell people about Jesus this Christmas. Let's show people Jesus this Christmas. Let's bring people peace because God has given it freely to us. Let's be ones to minister his peace into the world around us who so desperately need the peace of God in their lives. I'm going to ask Naomi if you'll come back up on the keys. Just want to give you a second. Um, Andrew already touched on some of these things in uh, opening this morning, but I'm going to give another opportunity to pray for a few of these things that I've touched on. If there is financial stress that you're dealing with that's robbing you of peace this Christmas... 
I want you to consider how you can express the generosity of Jesus this season. Maybe it's through giving to rural compassion. Maybe it's in some other way. But we all have the ability in some way to be generous and to bring peace to others. Let's ask the Lord to show us how we can express that generosity and take our eyes off our own need and put it on meeting the need of someone else. If you have relational tension, I want you to ask how you can seek to honor and bless those that have hurt you. It's easy to want the apology. It's easy to want someone else to bridge the gap of relationship. How can you extend forgiveness? How can you extend kindness in your broken relationships? Let's extend God's peace. Maybe it's a word of encouragement to someone or a thoughtful card. If you're experiencing loneliness, how can you consider extending hospitality to others? Every year, um, our family table at Christmas had extras around it. My parents would always invite someone from the church or someone that we knew who didn't have family around to spend Christmas with, to come spend it with our family. So that was just what I grew up with. Um, It wasn't an expectation that Christmas would be just our family. It was always family and extras because my parents wanted to include those other people and give them a place to be. Maybe you don't have someone in your life who's going to be that person to invite you in, but you can be a person to invite others in. You can be someone to extend hospitality and welcome and acceptance to someone else who's in the same situation as you might be in. Let peace come to you as you create peace for others. If an idea is coming to your mind of how you might do these things, I want to encourage you to write it down. Maybe you have your prayer journal with you. Maybe you just have your phone that you can type it into your reminders. But don't walk out the door this morning and forget what God spoke to you about being an example of Jesus in this holiday season. I'm just going to pray for us in these areas. And if you uh, identify with one of these particular things, um, just ask you to really open up your heart to receive this prayer this morning. Uh, And if you need more prayer after the service, I'm sure that there's someone who can pray for you individually. God, I pray that we would all experience more of your peace this season. That even in the midst of busyness, the busyness wouldn't have control in our lives. 
but your peace would undergird everything that we do. Lord, I pray that we would, as people who have received peace with God, that we would be ministers of your peace to others in our lives and outside of our lives, people we don't even know. Lord, we know that you are a God who is a provider and we pray that you would meet the financial needs that everyone in this church has and and they would see that happening as they take steps of generosity towards others, just like you, Jesus, that you put the needs of others before your own, and we want to be that same example to the world. God, I pray for the area of relationships, where there is brokenness in any of our relationships, that your peace would come to those. Give us the steps to take to be ministers of your peace in those relationships where we have held back before because we've felt like someone else should be the one to take the step. Maybe someone else was in the wrong. This is their their relationship to fix. We pray that you would give us the strength to be the ones as people of peace that we would be able to be the ones to bring peace to broken relationships and I pray for those who have um, circumstances in their life right now that have left them feeling lonely at Christmas time Would you surround them by family, even if it's not their own, God? And would they be ministers to others who are lonely this holiday season? We thank you that you're the Prince of Peace. You're not just peaceful, but you're the one with authority over peace. You're the one who brought us peace with God. Help us to carry that peace in everything we do this Christmas. Amen. Awesome. Just before we go, I just want to give an opportunity. Uh, If anyone's here and you've never accepted Jesus into your heart to allow you to have peace with God, as Gwendy said, He is the restorer of peace. And so I'm just going to ask everyone to to bow their heads and close their eyes will be done in about two minutes. But if that's you and you say, hey, I want to take that step just to invite Jesus into my heart. I want to connect my heart with His heart and receive the peace of God. If that's you, wherever you are, would you just put up your hand so I could pray with you in this moment? Is there anyone here wants to do that or wants to make a rededication of their heart? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you and honour you for what you're doing. Lord, that your peace is not distant. It is present. It is close and it is near. And we honour you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you give a round of applause to Gwendy? Thank you so much.
for sharing that wonderful message and uh, some honest stories. Maybe the one about uh, the couple where the wife was more organized and the husband was more last minute. That may have hit very close to home for me, but we can neither confirm nor deny that. Thank you so much for being with us here. Don't forget uh, our last in-person service next week. Right now we're going to have some uh, treats and beverages together. Uh, say good day to somebody. If you want prayer for anything, just come down over this side. Otherwise, we will talk to you soon. God bless. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.